This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show, please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute to give and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks. Welcome to KUOW Speakers Forum. I'm your host, John O'Brien. In this episode, recently, politics has been butting up against the reality of everyday lives in the presidential race. The two sides have debated questions of white supremacy and systematic racism as if the issues were black and white, which on some level they are. Claudia Rankin is a poet and author whose work confronts this divide. Her new book is Just Us, an American Conversation. The work examines the pivotal role race plays in American culture. Rankin makes the case that white people barely acknowledge the impact race has on our society, while black people experience the effects viscerally on a daily basis. The work began in Rankin's New York Times article, I wanted to know what white men thought about their privilege. So I asked. Rankin had pursued conversations with random white men about white male privilege. In doing so, she tapped into an uncomfortable third rail, often dismissed or avoided by polite status quo society. Claudia Rankin is a Yale University professor, a poet, a MacArthur Fellow, and the author of the renowned 2014 work, Citizen, an American Lyric. She had this Seattle Arts and Lectures conversation with poet and performer Douglas Kearney on September 25th. I'm Ruth Dickey, and I have the pleasure of serving as the Executive Director of Seattle Arts and Lectures, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the first evening in our Women You Need to Know series, and an evening with Claudia Rankin. The format for this evening will be a conversation between Claudia Rankin and Douglas Kearney. Douglas Kearney, who will appear in the Sal Poetry series in March, is a poet, performer, and librettist. Kearney has received a Whiting Award and the Cy Twombly Award for Poetry and is the author of six books, most recently Buck Studies, which won the CLMP Firecracker Award. It is a special honor to have Douglas Kearney join us for this conversation, a silver lining to our current online context. We are here tonight to celebrate the publication of Claudia Rankin's layered and inventive new book, Just Us, an American Conversation. Claudia Rankin is an author, poet, playwright, and multimedia artist. Her book, Citizen, an American Lyric, won the National Book Critics Circle Award in Poetry, the NAACP Image Award, and was also a finalist for the National Book Award. Rankin's previous poetry collections include Don't Let Me Be Lonely, Nothing in Nature is Private, The End of the Alphabet and Plot, as well as the plays The White Card and Provenance of Beauty. 
Just us is a richly layered and beautiful physical object, and also a structured, looping experience of reading that mirrors the process of thinking and also conversation, moving through layers of facts, source material, poetry, and space to create a kaleidoscope of the impacts of racism on a structural, physical, and emotional plane. The book explores conversations as a difficult and necessary path to true change, the conversations we have and don't have about racism and whiteness. From liminal spaces like airports and hallways, to structured spaces like classrooms and theaters, to the most intimate spaces of friendships and marriage, Rankin invites us into her experience of these conversations, her courage in beginning them, and all the painful ways they can unfold. Even in the closest of relationships, we watch white people disappoint, harm, and fail to acknowledge their power or privilege. What moved me most about Just Us, and what I continue to think about, is the vulnerability Rankin shares as she documents conversations with both strangers and loved ones, and what those conversations cost her. She writes of one such conversation, quote, The indifference is impenetrable and reliable and distributed across centuries, and I am stupidly hurt when my friends can't see that, end quote. Michael Kleber Diggs said in his review in the Star Tribune that Just Us is an argument for, quote, candor as the pathway to achieving universal humanity and authentic love, end quote. It is an argument for discomfort and honesty as a path toward collective liberation. It is a book that made me think about my privilege, my whiteness, even my blonde hair, in new ways. A book that made me realize with new poignancy my responsibility to own and examine my whiteness, to recommit to not only not doing harm, but also actively working for change. In that way, it is an essential book. Please join me in welcoming the author of this brilliant book that implores us to consider reading and conversation and universal humanity in new ways, Claudia Rankin. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this, you know, as I was reading this, it felt like it was truly a continuation of a, of a, of a long-term project, you know, between, uh, you know, this don't let me be lonely citizen and the racial imaginary um as well as the work that you're doing outside between uh you know with the, with the institute and there's going to be some questions that we've gotten from uh you know people who are attending the the uh Seattle Arts and Lecture Series um who sent some questions in advance of reading the book uh that we'll probably be able to thread into this but i mean you know just kind of launching right into it I guess I want to talk about how how is it feeling to be doing this real sort of public scholarship, this sort of un, this learning in public and this sort of sharing of your work. Um, in some ways, the metaphor of experimental writing, if we're all going to take it as an experiment, there is that aspect of it that is sharing the work, sharing what we've learned um, as well, in the sense of a process as well as the product. And what I think about when I think about this continuing project is that task, that aspect of it. And I'm curious about 
what that experience has been about sort of metatextually as well as textually? That's a great question. um, Citizen was a book that was, you know, crafted down to its, its paperweight. (laughs) And, um, and, um, and I feel like just us, was my attempt to put the blueprint of print of thinking, processing, um, the encounter out there. Mm. And, and so in that sense, it has a much um, broader scope and, uh, and, and messier edges in a way, mm-hmm. but that was really exciting to me as a, as a maker to be involved in a process that I didn't know where I was going. I had no ask for anybody else. I really just wanted to explore how we go off the rails in these discussions around race. And, um, and I decided that if I wanted to do this exploration in a way that would allow for an interior evaluation as well as an exterior um, look at what was happening that I would have to use my life, my actual interactions and encounters. And, um, and so the ranginess of just us has to do with the fact that these conversations happened randomly here and there now and then whenever and at, but the process that each conversation went under was very similar. I hired a psychiatrist, Doug, to discuss each essay with me, mm. and and sort of be a way to 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 as a way to help me um, understand why I was saying the things that I was saying why someone else might have responded or initiated a conversation in a way that they did. And I found that process really helpful. Um, once that was done, the, um, the essay went to a fact checker. Mm-hmm. And he and I um, went through all of the places that supported or detracted from the statements that were said. And so we had binders and binders of, of notes. Um, and then I, um, I had a lawyer friend look at it. I had, um, I had um, friends who were sociologists look at it. Um, and then when I felt like, okay, this is everything I know around this conversation, I sent it back to the person I had the conversation with, if I could, and said to them, is this the conversation we had? Is this how you remember it? And do you have any response um, that you would like to add to the conversation? When they chose to write a response, I then added their response to the sort of journey of the blueprint of the conversation. Um, at no time did anyone say to me, no, this is not the conversation we had. The, sometimes people said, this is, not, this is the conversation we had. This is not what I meant, but I'll write down and explain to you what I meant. 
And those were put in. Sometimes people said, no, this is basically what happened. Um, you know, go with God. Goodbye. <laughs> so then there was no no response. But that that basically was the the process for these for these um encounters. So I mean one of the things that comes to mind when you said that is kind of like the elasticity of the us of that just us. So at one level, there is the just us of you and the psychiatrist having the conversation about that, but then it grows. Um, and I mean, something that I think readers will probably think about throughout um, their experience with it. And one of the challenges that I feel like you throw out to us as readers is what is that us? Like how capacious is it? Um, you know, thinking of Jordan Peele's us, one of the things that lots of critics wanted to talk about was, hey, you notice when you see us, it's also US, right? <laughs> sort of things that thought of like the United States, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is that sort of pun um, slipperiness in that space, but also in the sense of just, right? Justness, like this is the fair us. And then you get the pun of fairness, of fair, uh, which we see really detailed in pieces like whitening and complicit freedoms, where we're talking about, um, you know, phenotypical or hair whiteness and blondness. Um, So it's fascinating to think about the kind of, on the one hand, sort of research process scrupulousness of like fact-checking and what becomes the mode of peer review when you're talking about interpersonal connections with people, but at the same time, a desire to preserve these multiple impressions as opposed to smooth them over um, in the messiness of it, um, which you're talking about. Um, You know, you've talked about lyric as a way of framing, you know, citizen and don't let me be lonely. And one of the ways people talk about the lyric is, of course, that interiority. And yet, you know, just us is an American conversation. Um, thinking about interiority and exteriority, um, what is distinct for you as a writer and thinker between the conversation and the lyric? What does the conversation uh, include that the lyric does not or vice versa or what's possible with conversation that's different than with lyric well for me the conversation keeps you in the room all the time mm-hmm. as in you and me mm-hmm. the encounter is at the very center of conversations when you are in conversations you're trying to build a thing between the two of us um Whereas the lyric can exist with me only. I can, mm. um, I can sit with your poems in a way without thinking about me encountering you. I can think of you encountering the subject of the poem. With Just Us, I wanted um, a form that insisted on the encounter, whether it was with another or with history or with tweets or with um, images. I wanted that back and forth 
to be the dynamic that we were in process with always. I didn't want to lose the encounter. Um, Because in a way, the book is, if it calls for something, it's calling for an encounter between different constituencies in the United States. I mean, you know, we, Black women, for example, um, 98% of us voted for Hillary Clinton in the 2016 election. We did not need to see the last three and a half years to know that what happened would happen. But only 45% of white women voted for Hillary Clinton. 47% voted for Trump. So what did white women think were gonna, was going to happen in the last three and a half years? 62% of white men voted for this, for, for Donald Trump. And what has happened in the last, you know, they, he said, these are the things I'm committed to. Um, detention of undocumented people, the expulsion of DACA students, the, um, you know, the treatment of African-Americans in, um, in the way that they've been treated. So I, I wanted the book to be able to be um, in conversation at the very least with those people who might now think I should have believed Trump when he said what he said. Hmm. You know, and, um, and, and so I wanted it to enact the act of encounter, the act of discourse, the, um, because without the ability to talk to others, even if we are not the same person, we have no ability to move forward. I mean, you know, um, we are going to have to work together if we intend to reroute what is going on. We are in a moment of constitutional crisis. We are seeing um, elements of um, a fascist regime making its way forward, you know, questioning the need of an election, silencing um, um, the press, and, and the list continues. So I, 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 I really wanted the book to, to ask questions, to invite conversation, to make that process at least the beginning of the end of a segregationist lifestyle. One, you know, segregationist, I, I'm not going to talk to those people. That's the mechanism of white supremacy. Those, that's the, you know, the currency that they rely upon. And I wanted to um, to go against that and say, you know, it's it's in a in a way it's a kind of Obama, you know, reaching across the aisle moment. But if ever we needed to reach across the aisle, it is now. 
it, you know, we are in a state of emergency in terms of our democracy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things, one of the ideas that recurs um, throughout the book that you bring up is the, the, the tension in the encounter and what is to come of the encounter, right? Which is what is to be produced of that gesture reaching across the aisle. Um, and, and earlier you talked about the mess and the messiness of the process. And centered in that, um, one way of thinking about mess might be to think about a sort of an indeterminacy of not yet knowing what an outcome is going to be or, or how we're going to determine that. Um, and then something that I, that, I, that I think about is a quote uh, that, you, that, you, that you draw about the time for teaching, the idea of teaching white people about racism is, is, is failed. That project has failed. Um, and this is something that you also explore personally, you know, in your own encounters with a kind of focus on uh, the traumas of, of anti-Black racism and how, and I believe this is in the uh, uh, Jose Martí uh, chapter, where you talk about having to go through your own period of time where you are engaged with an artist friend and possibly rehearsing or reproducing certain kinds of um, interactions you've felt. Um, and I guess in that reaching across the aisle in this in these years and sort of concentrated focus on doing that, whether it's being waiting in line for a plane and deciding, okay, I'm going to talk to this white man about privilege, like that kind of work, or being in schools or being in countless talks or interviews. Is the gesture one of reaching across the aisle to teach, uh, to, to presence? What have you found as the gesture of reaching across the aisle um, to, to be? Is it to hand something, to extract something, to, to is your fist balled up and you're going to punch somebody in your jaw? Like, <laughs> like well, and yeah, yeah what, 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 is, what is the gesture? What's behind the gesture? It's not to teach. Yeah. That's not my, my interest. My interest is to engage. Mm. Um, um, because we are entangled. I, you know, every time I hear that word now, I think an entanglement with August. And it, um, mm. But <laughs> let's not go down that road. Um, <laughs> but it is, it's to, to lay bare, to, to, um, to show that the entanglement is there, whether or not, we are um, naming it, calling it out, um, engaging it. So it was a, it's not a performance, but it was an enactment of that entanglement. And each of the conversations pushed to their moment of crisis, the, um, the actuality of that entanglement. So I didn't. I don't see just us as a teaching mechanism. It's. Uh, it's. And that's why I like to. To. I think it's disappointed the book in in some ways disappoint people who are like. 
what is this, you know, and, and whose appetite for experimentation is, um, is small in terms of wanting activism and action. And, and what I'm sort of interested in um, is a showing, a showing up and a showing. And, um, and the opening out of a process and the pushing that process, um, as I said, to its moment of crisis and seeing how those moments get um, negotiated and how and if we can move past them. There are times when um, um, there's no moving forward uh, for me. Um, I, I arrive at the limits of my own um, capacity. When, when that woman who said to me, there, um, at a book, she was at a book signing, that um, the project of educating white people is useless, um, that was a white woman who said that. She, she said, I've been doing anti-racism work um, since the 60s or 70s. And I can tell you, Claudia Rankin, the project of educating white people is useless. And I found that so funny. You know, like, <laughs> I, I, I'm looking at this woman and she's like, I've come, I've, you know, walked up to this book table to let you know. <laughs> I'm here to tell you. <laughs> I have been out in the fields right. and I've come back to let you know that this project is a useless project. But it's not my project, actually. My project is, as you say, to create new forms around um, the showing of a thing. Um, And to bring forward in those forms um, the ways in which certain aspects of these interactions have been made invisible. So... Um, you know, Teja Cole talks about how somehow we have racism without racists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, it's like, how is that possible? <laughs> exactly. exactly. You know, it's like, exactly. it's like, and then Michael Brown was shot and killed. Hey. But do we know who did it? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, Darren Wilson did it. Let's look at Darren Wilson. Let's actually center Darren Wilson and talk to Darren Wilson and ask him, Darren Wilson, why did you shoot Michael Brown? And what does Darren Wilson say? Because I saw Hulk Hogan. I saw, you know, uh, uh, something that terrified me. And and that to me is interesting information to have. I mean, it tells me, it shows me that white people don't even actually see us. They have these, these images in their minds. It's, it, it really is like a heart, you know, like a, um, a horror flick that they have projected onto, you know, we're like in the grocery store getting the eggs and getting the celery and then they see you and this projection comes on you and then you're dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it has, it has absolutely nothing to do with who you are. And absolutely. so I, um, I'm, 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 I, and yet 
nobody's asking these white people, why are you doing what you're doing? What's happening with you? <laughs> what has taken you over in these moments? <laughs> what was what was the line? Uh, it was it was it, your 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 discomfort is your discretion. Was that? What it was? <laughs> yeah. So it's you know. So I I just and so I'm really I'm 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 sort of interested as you say in the racial imaginary that project and 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 approaching it in experimental ways in diff- from different points of view. And so, um, and this, I wanted in Just Us to stay present as I was looking at and considering these issues, looking at others and considering these issues. So, so I'm going to dip into this list before I hog up all the time, you know, um, pull out a couple of questions. <laughs> Um, so here's one that, that, that is a, a segue for professional interlocutors out there. Um, what is the status of the Racial Imaginary Institute? What's in the pipeline? Is there a way for the public to become involved? Um, and does it reflect just the work of those listed on website? So, um, we had planned at the Racial Imaginary Institute to roll out a series of events and a show around immigration and nationalism starting in April of this year. But everything got shut down with um, the quarantine. Um, but those, those art pieces, those talks, um, all of that has been put on pause Instead, we have been working with galleries to support individual artists who are now in um, a state of precarity around um, their own ability to exist and make their work. So we've gone, I think, from a um, public-facing project to a one-on-one project that addresses um, the fallout of the stresses of the current moment. But we will, we will um, pick up again as soon as we can. Yeah. I mean, that sense of, of, you know, moving one-on-one, I mean, definitely mirrors the, the, actions, the sort of the disciplines of Just Us as a project, that sense of the direct um, interaction, the movement outside of kind of the, the danger room of the gallery the, or, or, the, uh, or the project to, you know, being in a public and open space and sometimes a slightly restricted space um, and having a conversation with someone, especially a conversation they might not have, want to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a really important aspect of how uh, the personal can be mobilized in your work. There's there's a question, um, another question that that might be in the same vein as the help, helpful person trying to t- you know you know inform you that like you know there's no point in teaching, but it's a it's a it's a critical question I think. Um, 
Etzea, would you share any thoughts on the question posed by I. Muhammad in The Atlantic? Um, is your focus on the personal out of step with the racial politics of our moment? Um, and and the and the question goes forth uh, to say, you know, in very direct terms. And after reading your book, I know you're equipped for those kinds of terms. Is it framed that way to appease critics, to sell more magazines? Um, the work you called for via the Racial Imaginary Institute post-citizens is by no means finished. Um, isn't there room for multiple ways to bring about racial justice? Um, so that might, that's the, it's a longer question, but I think those are kind of like the, the meat of it in question of the personal. So the, the, so in other words, is justice uh, a way to appease whiteness? Is that the? Well, I think that, I think that this is written, of course, as a, a before reading it, uh, mm-hmm. before reading Justice, um, and the idea I think is how does the personal uh, work with larger arguments about racial politics of the moment? Like, okay. is focusing right. on the personal right. I, 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 inherently I, more likely to appease? Yeah, I didn't understand the end of it with the absolutely critics and uh, and that. You know. Oh yeah, I mean, that's more. My, that's probably more my fault than the question. <laughs> I, you know, this book began um, before this summer. Obviously, the the book ended um, and was handed in a year ago. Uh, because uh, and and if you're um, cognizant of how publishing works, the book takes a year of production. So. My goal in working on the book was to begin to understand how we got where we got with the election of somebody who names themselves a nationalist. And, And those votes were cast one at a time. I know people say, well, we don't know that the election was legitimate, but let's just say it was legitimate. Let's say the democratic process went forward the way it went forward. Let's say the numbers that Pew put forward as to who voted for whom is is legitimate. So I was really interested in all those people who did vote for him, what were they voting for? The people who refused to vote, the people who said um, there's no difference between a Hillary Clinton and a Donald Trump, I'm going to vote for whoever I want, Daffy Duck, and wrote in names, or the people who, who stayed home and said, I'm not involved in this. You know, the numbers of people who did not vote in 2016 and by virtue of that voted in their silence um, are much larger than you think. And so I wanted to be able to start taking even the liberals' conversations, the people I was in conversation with, taking apart what, what 
their understanding of being a citizen of these United States meant? What history um, were we sharing or not sharing? How did we get from there to here? That project, I wasn't thinking about selling books. I wasn't thinking about, in fact, some of the reviews have been scathing for this book. You know, like people are like, we don't like this book. Where's the... Where's the what? What's the solution? Right, right. You know what? What is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fix it, fix it, fix it for me. What's wrong? We want that inward nurse, right? (laughs) And and I'm like, people. I am looking at a thing. If I could fix it, then I would be running for president. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. I, but what i do believe in in as much as i can believe in anything is our democratic process and and so i i really wanted us to begin to move towards each other because i really think that for this election we need to do some coalition building and that might not be sexy, it might not be um, woke and fancy, but it's one-on-one. It's, you know, that's why people are sitting home right now calling people on the telephone, writing postcards to their homes, asking them to vote. Because even in, in on that level, in the grassroots level, people understand that I need to talk to you. I need to tell you something. I need to show you something. So the so the book it lives in that kind of in in that arena, trying to make um, tangible the encounter between me and you. And so, in given that the book is not going to be for any everyone, it's not a prescription. Right. I cannot I cannot write you a prescription for how and what to do. I can make an argument and a book from where I stand, from what I have access to. And you can say, I don't need that, I don't want that. And that's a conversation, you know. And I will say, I respect that. Maybe what you need is another kind of book. You know, maybe you need Woodward's Rage, that book that came out recently, which, you know, I don't understand how he had tapes where Donald Trump is saying that um, this virus is horrible. And you sit on that for months, six months, in order to sell your book. That's somebody who's trying to sell their book. I don't, I, you know, but, but maybe that's what you need. Maybe you need something else. This, you know, that's, I am just trying to look at a thing um, as closely and as responsibly 
as I can in terms of its history, in terms of the facts, in the moment of fake news, and in terms of my emotional investment in a country where my child will have to move forward in. The transparency around um, the usage of the the fact checker, one of the things that readers are going to experience if they haven't yet, is what it means to allow the, the writing in its final form exists side by side with the correction of a fact, a fact that says, oh, maybe, or a fact that says, actually, no. Um, and putting that on the left mar- on the left side so that it gets the kind of position of like preempting potentially the text. Um, so there's that kind of transparency around that work. And so we get to see, and we get to do the thing that you're constantly doing within the book. And I think this is really important because, you know, you, you said earlier, you know, I will respect people's need uh, for a different book, but reading, reading just us, that respect comes after a process <laughs> of, of, of a great deal of critical in, in interrogation. Um and questioning if we don't want to use the term interrogation, right? Which is when you encounter something that seems inconsistent or horribly consistent with inequity, right? Or a, pers- or a, or a, or a projection of somebody claiming to be fair, claiming to be just, you, 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 you show us the process by which you hold that in question and turn it in three dimensions. Um, how you ask yourself and question yourself and then pull it back from that interior space and externalize that for us through the act of writing. So, I mean, that's something that I wanted to, you know, talk about in this space that, that one of the things that becomes more uh, ready for us to see, more available to us, is a process of thinking through. And that the idea of, I will respect somebody needing to go to another book is not a respect that's handed off with a, with a very easy kind of, oh no, this isn't the book for you. There's going to be a kind of a kind of an inquiry. And that was one of the things that I found rich and messily so, that the mess of that is a part of that engagement, a part of that question around, if this isn't the book you need, why might you need this other book? Mm-hmm. What, exactly. is, what is drawing you toward that other book? Because that is information that's important for mm-hmm. uh, you and other readers to have as well. And I want to think about, you know, what you were saying earlier about coalition building and and amplifying that Angela Davis uh, passage that you were quoting in discussing uh, networks, alliances, and coalitions. Um, You know, these are different forms of connectivity and what the conditions are that require these different uh, forms of working together. Um, This is a book that teams with a number of voices um, and they're all at this very large table that you're building, which is another form of the, of the us. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and your, your belief 
And as you put it, belief in any, if you can believe in anything as the democratic process, I want to also talk about the way you critique um, the democratic process and especially, uh, you know, candidates um, explicitly, um, not excluding them uh, from uh, from a, sort of a white supremacist ordering, um, not excising them from that tradition and that history. Um, so it's interesting to, to talk about, you know, in this run, in this, these months leading up to an election, um, you know, how does one talk about that democracy um, as something that's not just an ideal, right? Something that is a practice that is also bound up in the same history that has led to, you know, that is an anti-Black history, that is, uh, you know, a history of suppressing women's votes, it's, you know. And so I'm interested in hearing a little bit more about that. So, okay, so if we start where you started with um, the transparency of the book, the idea was to, to, to show my own vulnerabilities, my own not knowing, my own, you know, what we don't need is another hero. I, you know, I, I, Tina. <laughs> I am not a hero. I am a woman trying to understand why Black people are in the middle of the street every other day. Right. That's it. I do not want this. I do not like this, Sam I am. <laughs> you know, no, no to this. And and so I'm not trying to get a cape and perform anything for anybody. Mm-hmm. I am trying to look at a thing. And in looking at that thing, it is impossible to draw clean lines. Clean lines for anyone. Myself first. If you are here, if you live in this country, if you have health insurance through a company, if you have an IRA, if you, you know, you are tied up in the mechanics of a country that has systemic racism built into it. So on some level, we are all in collusion. So, you know, it would be cleaner for me to be like, I am separate from this and y'all are bad. But no, I, I teach at a university. I... Um, I live in a house, I have a mortgage, I have a child in school, I'm married to a white man. I am as inside this structure as anyone. And there's no getting outside of it. Um, I know Afro-pessimism claims that you can stand outside because of the social death of black people, but the very people who are claiming that are also teaching in universities collecting their paycheck, um, have their retirement, and are subject to the laws of this country. 
So as long as we are subject to it, we are responsible to it. And so I, I really wanted um, to look at the whole thing as messily as that is. And sometimes it means that we are implicated. You know, in the book, there's a, a passage about um, Hillary Clinton. And this is a small thing. You know, Hillary Clinton started out um, as the wife to the governor as a, um, a brunette. And she herself has written about the fact that she didn't want to dye her hair blonde. But halfway through Clinton's governorship, she was convinced to do that. And the question then becomes, what is that blondness doing for her, for us? What does it allow people when they vote for the Clintons to feel that they're voting for? You know, that's, and I, and I think Hillary brought it up in her book because she too understands that the wages of whiteness mean that we're constantly being asked to collaborate with the centering of whiteness. And, and that does not stop for Black people even as we are the target of anti-blackness. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a book, Justice is a book that asks you to be okay with um, the complexity of what it means to be an American citizen, to be an American here, now. And, and, and not to believe that just because you're able to say one thing, it doesn't mean that you're not committed over here to this other thing. That you're always toggling all of these things at once, and then you have a line that you might not cross, you know, um, but the lines themselves are fuzzy. So I don't know. I you know I I I want the book to be almost a breathing thing, a thing that allows everything in and cannot stand still to claim any one thing as the only thing. The only thing this book knows for sure is that anti-blackness exists and that racism is part of what makes America, America. Um, that it knows for sure, but how we interact with that, where we stand relative to that, that is constantly moving. Um, and that I think might be what's uncomfortable. I, it's, I, you know, in some ways, I feel like Just Us is the most radical book I've written in the sense that it, it's, it's, it's got moving parts that refuse to settle down. 
And so you can't um, at any moment say, um, this Claudia Rankin is just this one thing. Or Claudia Rankin is, you know, there, um, there are ways in which the book refuses any kind of monolithic reading of it. And it asks us as readers to be as subtle and as open to complexity as we possibly can hold. And I think some people are not, they, they're they not willing to hold that kind of complexity. And, um, and that lack of assuredness um, and the full range of the, the humanness of the exploration of my own vulnerabilities in my attempt to make a life inside a country where I am targeted simply because I am Black. And that's it. You know, that's what the book is about. It's about, oh, let's look at that. Let's look at at, at how you, I, Claudia Rankin, and trying to negotiate, both seeing a thing and negotiating a thing, you know? Hmm. You know, while being a mom, while having cancer, while teaching, while um, going to plays, while taking airplanes, while um, looking shit up, you know, <laughs> at the like, going to the, you know, I was at the Beinecke. There's something that didn't make it into just us, which you would have appreciated, Doug. It was, um, I mean, it was a page of um, from James Baldwin mm. where he just signed his name over and over and over. James Baldwin, James, James Baldwin. Baldwin, James Baldwin. But I, I wanted that page in a way because, you know, he to me is the person who was, able to hold all of the complexity, who could see beyond his moment, who, mm-hmm. who, who stayed in the room, if only to say the room is rotten, you know, mm-hmm. the air is rotten. Um, but, and he himself said, look, I, 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 I can't stay in Europe. I need to come back. I need to, be back in the United States and say what I see is happening. And, um, and he, he did it through his writing by showing up to these discussions um, with, with Elijah Muhammad, with um, Buckley, with all kinds of people. So in, in a way that becomes a kind of role model. Um, for for just pulling these conversations out. Thank you. Wow. I I have a couple more questions, if that's all mm-hmm. right. Yes, of course. All right. One is super super nerdy, and since you know you you uh, you started speaking my love language in terms of the repetition <laughs> of the name and name and name. Um, I want to I want to go back to something you said earlier about um, about not being able to get outside of 
of America and white supremacy. Um, and so I want to I want to get to the preposition of to, right? So subject to it and responsible to it. And I want to, for a second, think about to. To be responsible to is distinct from being responsible for. And and how how do you configure the relationship of responsible to something, even something that would that would um, simultaneously disown you and own you, mm-hmm. uh, simultaneously uh, uh, name you and call you out of your name, right? So how are you responsible to that as opposed to for that? I'd, I'd love to hear you zoom well, in. Well, I think it's it's... I think in some ways it's might be part of that too might be part of what is irritating in the book, that sense Mm. that I don't give myself powers. I don't have, (laughs) Um, but I'm still not willing to be blind to what is, you know, so to call a thing out, to show up, to, to try and engage, even knowing that as a black, you know, what is it? Uh, black women are the most disrespected, the most, <laughs> that, that list of things. Um, even as I know that, even as um, I understand my own lack of power, it doesn't mean that I am not going to call out what I see. I'm not expecting um, instrumental in a large way, but I am expecting to join in the chorus of all the others in in the seeing of the thing. And and um, and I think that's where I join all of the people who get referenced in the book, the Coates and um, the Stevensons, Brian Stevensons and the Sadia Hartman. Um, it's not that they would agree with me or I necessarily agree with them. It's that we're all willing to see what is there. We are all responsible to the reality in front of us. We all have different ways in which we approach it and in which we interrogate it, to use your word, um, and, and bring our line of inquiry and our own vulnerabilities, our own desires, our own fantasies to that. But, but we're willing to see it and, and also to recognize our own lack of power within that structure, you know? And some people's recognition is to say, I'm going to be out. But I don't, I personally don't think there's an out. Not if you continue to go show up at your job and have children and um, create a life within, inside the system. Um, I, I, I think, you know, I think a lot about um, 1933 as Hitler was coming to the rise in power. And I remember thinking, you know, 
what were those people thinking when all of these things were happening? What were they thinking? Why, would you, why, why did they just stay still, you know? And, and now I feel like here we are in our homes um, trying to figure out um, distance learning for our kids and our constitution is in a crisis. There are um, children in camps along the border being denied basic, basic um, toiletries, tampons, toilet paper, um, you know, what are we? What is going on? I mean, we we are in a kind of very inhuman system right now that's passing itself off as human. And we are letting it happen because we don't know what to do. Plus we're being told to stay home because we have to, because of the virus. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, it's like a very complicated, weird time. So I get, I get the irritation with adjust us that doesn't give a prescription because the level of frustration, 200,000 people dead, no, attempt to mourn that, no top-down recognition, no accountable accountability to the fact of it. It is, we are, we are in the weirdest, strangest, most polluted, toxic moment of my lifetime. Um, So maybe the idea of a call to conversation seems lame inside of that to some people, but at least it acknowledges that there is another out there, that there are others out there, and that we should be accountable to them. I want to think briefly about... um, I'm going to just pull up the the section title for it. Um, Big Little Lies, um, where you you speak about, I think in some ways, one of the most uh, direct uh, problematizations of of the idea of us and we, right? Uh, Which is, I mean, we, there's a a narcotic to we, right? Mm -hmm because it, it is that first tool of it's, 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 it's a gesture of, Hey, I'm in this too. Right. Especially if we're being critical, if we say we, it's a, it's a beautiful way of, of, of letting people know, Oh, I'm not just talking about it's, it's me, yeah, too. me too. But one of the things that you, that you do uh, that I think is really important is to talk about the move to want to uh, translate 
uh, a kind of uh, togetherness as a sameness, right? Um, and and it's something that you that 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 you talk about in the sort of messy moment of a self correction, and you you blow that self correction up, and you stretch it out over, and in the way that you do it, this gives you a space to sort of critically and philosophically engage that question of we. Um, um, if if I if if I could ask you to read from page uh, one eighty nine, um, uh, yes, the 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 section that starts off with unless, um, mm-hmm. and then yeah. maybe maybe to the end, sure. Unless something structural shifts in ways that remain unimaginable, the life my friend has is not a life I can achieve, ever. Her kind of security, because it's not merely monetary, is atmospheric, and therefore it is not transferable. It's what reigns invisible behind the term white. It doesn't inoculate her from illness, loss, or forfeiture of wealth, but it ensures a level of citizenry, safety, mobility, and belonging I can never have. Neither of us is baffled by our particular random, well-earned, unearned, historical, or inherited differences. It is, in fact, my friend's ability to grasp and hold our differences that creates both our facility with each other and our antagonisms. But why, even for a second, translate ease with each other into a state of sameness? If no sameness of status is possible, even within my closest white friendships, how to account for closeness? What form of relation can include knowledge of historical dynamics and societal realities without preventing or interrupting intimacy? If simultaneity, if similarity and sameness are essentially impossible, how is difference recouped and aligned with closeness? How do we keep all the differences on the table and still call that a friendship. I long to trust in our feelings of closeness, a closeness years in the making that wrestled racism and racist assumptions to the surface of our hurt feelings and profound disappointments. I wish to stop time and have feelings of intimacy blanket all time both historical time and the years that took us from our late 20s to our late 50s. But to stop being conscious of my friend's innate advantages is to stop being present inside our relationship. To remember the truth of us is to be in the truth of us, in all its realities and all its stumbles and slips. Then our friendship is what allows us to fall away from the ease of intimacy without falling. My friend already knows the truth of her life 
before I call it forward. Her ability not to push aside the moment of my self-correct, a moment that happens with language, language that seems to distance us from each other in its effort to know precisely, points to her ability to hold and recognize her advantages, her disadvantages, her whiteness alongside my blackness, my disadvantages and my advantages, despite our similarities. The two-step, just us, no, you and I, then that I enacted is one she, I hope, keeps in step with. I doubt she would have corrected me had I not corrected myself. But that aside, together we allow racial difference, as constructed as it is, as real as it is, not to become for us a source of acrimonious silence. Our fortitude, our resilience with regard to each other's differences becomes in day-to-day life our friendship. Still, when I asked her to respond to an earlier version of this piece, she said she had no thoughts of interest. I keep wondering how she, a writer with a wealth of thoughts and imaginings, had suddenly gone bankrupt. First of all, thank you for reading that passage. And I wanted to talk a little bit there about, number one, again, here's this, one of the things that you, that I value so much about this, the book is that, that question about sameness, um, closeness. Um, how can we reach across the aisle, which of course suggests not only a distance and a gulf, but a binary or an opposition without insisting that what that proximity means is that we must become the same. Um, Why we don't have to be absorbed, assimilated. We don't have to um, come into, uh, to be bleached or blonded in order to be uh, perceivable and recognized. Um, And then going back to that we, who the we are, who, who, are dealing with the current historical moment in a particular way and just making sure that like, you know, there's an understanding that for you throughout this book, you are constantly poking holes in that we, you are constantly poking holes in that us and recognizing um, class, recognizing um, not only in the sense of class in the relationship between being able to live in the same basic house blueprint plan as another, um, as a friend, which is the moment that this is about, does not put you in the same place, but your blackness being in that house does not put you in the same place necessarily as a black person who doesn't own a home. Right. And so I wanted first just to, in this, in the, the, the nature of a talk, you get a slice. And I wanted to make sure anybody listening to this talk understood how you had have porously and critically engaged that question of we. But I also wanted to, in some ways, perhaps highlight one of the moments that might make, let the air out of some people. A critic might be getting ready to go like, oh, okay, the two-step, just us now. Oh, we're coming to this sort of moment of a balm of, of togetherness. And somebody else might say, oh, yes, we're coming to this moment of balm of togetherness. But that final paragraph, which is still, 
when I ask. And that to me is that pursuit of the mess. It is an activity that I think uh, characterizes this book um, in the way that I think uh, would be offered scoldingly in most cases, but I offer here um, with a sense of like, you know, the, 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 the desired action of, why won't you just leave well enough alone? That sense of messing with, the sense of not letting it stay, mm-hmm. the sense of messing around with the interaction and keeping the thing stirring, keeping it disturbed and unsettled. Um, so that other people can keep uh, entering the space because it's still active, it is still uh, moving, it is still motile and mobile. Um, you, 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 you insist, and I think it is true, uh, that this is not a book that gives um, answers or solutions. We've mentioned a bit about coalition building. Here is a question that might not be tied to the book, but might be tied to your own work in education um, and your own work uh, just in conversation with people. Uh, And it is, what advice do you have for student activists who face resistance from school leadership when it comes to implementing anti-racist curricula and policies? What what school would fight anti-racist curricula? And why that would suggest that well, I'm. I'm. This is this is a, a question of fantasy. But I'm going to ask the question as it is written. What advice do you have for student activists who face resistance from school leadership when it comes to implementing anti-racist curricula and policies? You know, I actually have an answer for this because it's happened in my classroom. I I had a class where students were advocating for things and then the administration said no and they came to class and they said you know um we worked so hard and nothing happened and i said to them who says it's over just because the administration says no if you're not done you're not done and that means you just have to keep on going It's not one ask, one acceptance. It's again and again and again and again. It's the, you know, it's the long distance engagement that makes activism what it is. It's it's the ability of people to stay in it and then pass the baton when they're exhausted to somebody else but you just keep going at it because the institution knows itself in terms of what it was, not in terms of what it will become. And to get it to the place of what it will become means a constant push, a constant investigation, a constant um, renaming and, and, and lines of inquiry and work that then coalesce in a certain moment. We, we are in one of those moments now where the work that was done, you know, Black Lives Matter started um, four or five years ago and all of that work that it has been doing along with groups like showing up for racial justice 
um, and say her name. Um, all of um, Crenshaw's uh, organization, all of those groups have been working outside of the limelight. And then suddenly we had a moment where um, because of Floyd's death and the organized protest that came out of all the work that was being done in, in um, educating people and, and teaching them how to protest and what they organizing them through cell phones. Then we saw in cities across this country, people showing up at night after night after night. So it's, it's, it's not about prescription in a one-to-one manner. It's about process. And I really believe in process that you just keep at it. You just keep at it. Absolutely. Yeah. Chauvin's murder of George Floyd. Um, you know, this is a book that unfortunately seems evergreen, um, ever timely. Um, I think I'll ask one final question from the audience and then I'm going to let you get, uh, get, get back to some more of your life. <laughs> well, this is this is a nice part of my life because I get oh, to talk okay. to you. It's always All good right. to see you, Doug. It has been too long. It has. Yeah. Been. Well, so let's see. What are you reading, or what books do you recommend? What am I reading? Well, you know, I just happen to have Jericho Brown's book right here. Ah, yeah, the tradition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, some of the poems in this book slay me. Um, riddle, good white people. Um, so I, I'm loving that book. Um, I'm reading right this minute Latinx um, by Ed Morales, the new force in American politics and culture. And it's a book that is interested in how the Latinx community is positioned relative to the black white question. And it's a book I, I really recommend to people. Um, Kathy Parkhan's Minor Feelings. I happen to have these books with me because um, I'm, I'm, I'm always trying to figure out like how to think about the racial imaginary, the thing that, something that's constructed, but then is real, you know? It's, these divisions that were made up, but now function as real as any other tangible weather, you know? So, mm. um, so I'm constantly going back, um, circling. Absolutely. Well, I just want to thank you very, very much for, you know, the work that you are doing, um, you know, exploring new forms and ways of asking these questions. Um, you know, there is that idea of, oh, we're going to start another conversation. I mean, you know, so many of so many of of us who might be listening to this, uh, I won't assume that all of the people listening to this, or even most of them, are working in organizations or institutions where um, another conversation simply means a, a round of meetings um, that may or may not produce action and activity. Um, 
you know, I, I think that there's something important to the actual question of um, speaking directly to people as you're doing in this work. Um, but I'm also extraordinarily interested in the way the kind of unsettling that you're doing around some of these categories, um, joining in that chorus of voices, as you've talked about, um, will create new opportunities for people to do other kinds of work uh, with what happens when those categories are moved around and, and shifted. Um, there's a lot that you amplify in here that I think is extraordinarily uh, useful, especially considering your, your, your position in the culture to, to make those sort of amplifications. So I'm very grateful to that. And it's also just, you know, good writing if that matters to people out there. I mean, you know, some people still like think about that shit. Um, so like, thank you. Thank you so much, Claudia, for, you know, you know, for, for, um, for just really being transparent about the process, um, not only in this conversation, but in the work itself. Um, I think that that's going to once again give people a lot to talk about and think about and challenge themselves with in terms of how they engage these questions and, and uh, have these conversations at larger and personal levels. So thank you. And good night. And yeah. good night, Seattle. Do we say good night, Seattle? I can't. Forget. <laughs> 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 all, right. all love, my dear. All love. All love to you. Peace, Seattle. Peace out. Claudia Rankin spoke with Douglas Kearney in this Seattle Arts and Lectures event on September 25th. To find the full event, and other great Seattle area talks, go to our website, KUOW.org, and click on the podcast tab. While you're there, subscribe to our podcast, follow us on social media, and share your comments. Thank you for listening. Tune in again soon.